All right, guys. So before I even get started, can you hear me? Let me know. Can you hear me? Um, Sal says, if you couldn't hear Mike, you have COVID. Audio is fine. Yeah, some of you guys said you could hear me. Some of you said you could not. So let me know right now. Can you hear me? Okay. I don't know what the hell happened. I unplugged everything, plugged it back in, I turned it off, turned it back on, and now it works. Okay. You got to love technology. So um, anyway, um, hello. <laughs> Welcome to episode 363 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. Um, I, I don't even know where the hell I was on the other video. So let me just um, update you guys on uh, what the hell's been going on with me. So um, it's Thursday. I'm doing a show on Thursday, right? We usually do the show on Monday. I've been busy as hell all week. Um, my my daughter Jacqueline turned a year old on Monday. We had to have her twelve month checkup at the doctor, which meant that she had to get about four billion shots in her thighs. They literally jab a needle into her thigh muscle. Uh, she had to get multiple vaccines, so she was screaming and crying. That was that was lovely. And then uh, my wife is giving birth to our second daughter next week. We're scheduled for Monday. And uh, so we had our final checkup with the doctor for that, our final ultrasound and everything. And everything looks great. Weight is on point. You know, all the stuff that needs to be on point is on point. So it looks like everything's going to be great. But um, yeah, it's just been busy, right? It's been insanely busy. So I talked to my wife and um, I said, look, babe, I got a few minutes. Can I do an episode of TNC today? Because I'm probably not going to be able to for a few weeks with the newborn. She said, yeah, do your thing. So she's outside playing with Jackie right now. And um, yeah, I'm here doing this TNC thing. So uh, TNC 363. And I ap apologize, guys. Um, for those of you just getting on board here with this episode, I launched the other episode and there was no uh audio for most of you and suddenly you know unplug the shit plug it back in and there's audio don't you just love how that works sometimes anyway um let's get right into this um i do have the phones open if you guys want to uh call in and chat so um i wanted to talk about a few different things and i wanted to give more insight into this showtime boxing deal i know some of you may be burnt on this topic i i get it um but I will, I'll say this, guys. It's been a week since the official announcement. It's it, it's not like it's been months. It's It's been a week. So it's still pretty new. And I think it's worth um, still diving into because they're, they're, the more I think about this, the more fascinating it becomes for different reasons, right? Um, it is – I think that the Showtime boxing collapse is, is part of an overall story arc that we're going to be talking about for years. It's not just Showtime, right? It includes other platforms. But if you think about the premium cable channels here in America, Showtime was the last man standing. And five years ago, <clears throat> five years ago, HBO Boxing left. But we all said, oh, we still got Showtime, you know? And Top Rank, which was on HBO at the time, they took their material over to... Um, ESPN. And I think Golden Boy was having some shows on HBO. They took their stuff over to the zone. So it kind of went to a couple different places. And it got broken up, but um, which, which wasn't a good thing. Wasn't necessarily a good thing when you see something get further broken up. 
because having multiple promoters over on HBO at the time, of course, you know, Loeffler had Golovkin over there. You know, you had you had a lot of interesting fights that could happen. So it, it was sad when that when HBO went, but we all kind of said, well, we still got Showtime. Showtime was the last man standing in that regard. And when you're the last one to go, it's more dramatic. There's more finality to it, of course, right? Um, I, I, I liken this to Ring Magazine going out of print after 100 years of being in print, you know, late last year, when um, they, they shed staff and they, they cut the, the print part of the magazine. There had been plenty of other fight magazines over the years that had come and gone here in the United States. I'm sure you got, you see some of them on my wall back here. Uh, some of these, you know, obviously are UK mags, but there's some American fight mags too. And a lot of magazines came and went and Ring was the last man standing here in the USA. So when Ring magazine went out of print, it was like, wow, there was real finality to it. And in the entire English speaking world now, I can only think of one print magazine and that's boxing news over in the UK that's still being printed. So that's kind of how I look at this thing with Showtime. And so um, peeling that onion back and really taking a look at this, man, there's so many fascinating little elements to it that I, th I really think we're going to be talking about for a while as this all unfolds. And right now, there's a million rumors. Where is Premier Boxing Champions going, right? You're hearing maybe it's going here, maybe it's going there. There's a million rumors. Nothing's official. So until that happens, we're probably going to be talking about this. And I, I think it's very, very relevant. And I think a lot of different things brought us here. Um, what I find interesting is right now, the, the latest narrative the last couple of days is um, members of the cult, you know, the PBC cult, uh, and the apologists out there, which includes members of the American fight press, now are kind of are almost acting like victims and saying like, oh my God, how can you guys talk about this and gloat and, 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 um, say i told you so oh my god i'm just so sad by the way these are the same people that were pissing on hbo boxing's grave five years ago right um that are now just so outraged and offended that people are talking about this oh my god so most members of the cult have just gone radio silent they're just not even talking the few that are and the apologists are just kind of going around having this crying tour of how could you laugh at this and talk about Guys, if we're being honest, Showtime Boxing, non-pay-per-view, has been dead for years. It, like, the writing has been on the wall. So, so um, to act shocked right now, eh, I, I don't buy it as being genuine. I think some of these guys are just full of shit. And they're hypocrites. The PBC experiment, that's kind of what I want to delve into today. Just a little bit, okay? I want to peel this onion back. And uh, if you guys, you know, look, if you want me to just shut up about this, I get it, okay? Well, there's not a whole lot to talk about right now. Um, but first of all, PBC, I think they launched, was it 2014, 2015? It was around that time. So it hasn't quite been a decade, okay? But when they first launched, of course, it was with half a billion dollars of investment money from that Waddell and Reed account. Um, which was private investors. And by the way, we never found out exactly where that money went or the investors, if they got any return on their investment, if there were any dividends paid back, we, we just don't know. But we saw 
you can track the financials uh, of that fund. What was in it starting out? It was half a billion dollars. And what's in it today? Nothing. So half a billion dollars was spent over the first two, three years of PBC's existence. And I should, I should add, a lot of you younger guys don't realize Al Heyman has been involved in boxing well before PBC, okay? So he's been involved in boxing for decades. But the launch of PBC was this grand experiment. And I think it's something that um, people are asking, is it over? I don't think it's over. I think it's going to continue somewhere, maybe in a, a couple different platforms, maybe two or three different platforms, but it will continue in some way. But uh, it, it's something that is unprecedented in boxing history, at least modern boxing history, the way it was done. And um, actually probably all of boxing history. I'm just thinking about the way media is consumed now and everything, the way it was done. And I think it's something that's going to be explored and examined for years to come because it's fascinating when you really think about it. Half a billion dollars gets spent, these time buys, okay? So essentially the way this worked was Al Heyman, PBC, went to, let's say, NBC, for example. They went to multiple networks, but NBC, for example, and said, hey, we'll pay you X amount of dollars to show our programming during this time slot. That was what they negotiated, okay, without getting into all the particulars. And NBC said, you want to just give us free money to air your – okay, <laughs> give here. So, so these networks took free money for a couple of years. NBC, CBS, ABC, Fox, ESPN, Bounce, Spike. I think there were others. And PBC spent that investment money, that half a billion dollars. Um, I, I was around at the launch of it, all of it. And I was at, I remember being at a press conference in LA launching it. And I was very surprised at the amount of money being spent. Okay. It was high end. I remember for the fights and stuff, the production, there were drivers for the people, for, for the talent, there were drivers, uh, they were rolling out all the stops. Right. And they got some really top names to do some of the commentary and stuff. There was really, they, they did a really elaborate um, ring walk thing. Remember how the ring was decorated and they dropped these lights down the ring and it was very dramatic. And I give them credit for trying things like that. It didn't really work out necessarily, but uh, parts of it were, were cool and kind of worked and parts of it didn't work. But all in all, um, they were willing to try some stuff. So I give them credit for that. But I could see with by like the second year, they had cut drastically in the spending. There were no more drivers. The catering was very different. You were going from like steak and all this stuff to like tacos. You know what I'm saying? The catering changed. It, it was, you could tell. It was like, okay, shit, this money's drying up. Okay, let's pull back on the spending a little bit. Anyway, at the end of that two, three years, I can't remember if it was two or three years or somewhere in between. The time buys were through. And at the end of the time by, none of those networks re decided to sign with PBC, or at least the offers they made PBC were not to Uncle Al's liking and they didn't work. And what you ended up having was after this whole free boxing for all thing, right, that didn't really work out because they didn't have the ratings. They couldn't bring in the ad revenue to justify what they were paying. They didn't make enough back. Now, now maybe they, they had to make some money. 
And that's the money that we don't know. And maybe some of that went to the investors. And so, we just don't know. Okay. But um, I think they signed with, well, it was Fox and it was Showtime. Right. And they ended up doing a traditional type of deal where the platform pays for the content. So instead of PBC paying the network, the network was paying PBC, which is a traditional TV contract, the way these things usually work. The difference being Showtime is a subscription based platform, Fox is network TV, and it relies on advertising for the bulk of its revenue. So two different kinds of platforms. Keep that in the back of your mind, okay? Um, and then it wasn't very long after that when they moved over exclusively to Fox and Showtime. It wasn't very long after that that the bulk of the cards started to go to pay-per-view, particularly on Fox. The last year or so Fox was around, it was just pay-per-views. They would do club type of shows on FS1, which are very cheap to produce. You're talking five figures, not even six figures to produce those shows, right? So very, very cheap. And that's the kind of programming they throw over on FS1. But the bulk of PBC on Fox programming was pay-per-view. Now, the difference between, and I think a lot of you guys need to understand this too, pay-per-view for a network versus paying for a show on so let's let's use showtime as an example okay with showtime you either pay out and i'm just going to use blank figures or just you know raw numbers here it's not to scale okay but let's say you pay a million dollars to put a show on this saturday a show from minneapolis we're going to pay a million bucks okay there's that and then there's a pay-per-view deal let's say in three weeks we're going to do a pay-per-view from las vegas there is much less financial risk and liability for the network side to go pay-per-view. Yes, they spend money on the production, of course, of the event, the, the night of. Um, there's post-production and stuff like that. They spend money on pre-production and shoulder programming and stuff like that, right? The preview shows and, and all that. That costs money. But relative to what it cost in the 80s, 90s, it's a drop in the bucket today. A lot of the vignettes and the little videos you guys see, that stuff, it's not like it's produced in some big studio somewhere. It's shot on a tiny little digital camera, and it is chopped up and edited on a freaking laptop in an office somewhere. You pay some 25-year-old kid to do that. And a lot of times um, at, at the networks, what they'll do now is they'll have like a pre-edit where there's just some intern that's trimming the fat, all this, the, the, the stuff at the beginning of a take and the end of a take that you don't need and keeping the bulk of it. And then they send that to the next level up of editor. And then they kind of cut the scenes and then they'll give it to the top dude and he'll sweeten everything. That's the way a lot of this stuff works. Not all the time, but that's, that's how it works. So the bulk of the editing work is done by some intern on a laptop. You know what I mean? Um, and so it, it's it's really cheap. It's cheaper than you guys think. Now, Showtime, high-level production, okay? Not on HBO's level. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a second, but still high-level production. So they're spending money. I'm not trying to like diss them and say what they did was cheap. It wasn't. It was top of the line. What I'm saying is today doing that stuff is a lot cheaper than it used to be. So there are many, many cases 
where with these mid-level type of shows, these mid-level type of cards, a, a network like Showtime, which again is a subscription-based network, they don't sell advertising over there. They sell subscriptions and they rely on their subscribers viewing their content and wanting to continue to be subscribers, right? And they run the numbers. And they say, well, how, what percentage of our subscribers are watching this product? And they know all the numbers. They have all the details. Anyway, it's a lot safer for them to do a pay-per-view show where the bulk of the financial risk is on the promotion, not on them. They're going to get their money, whether the show tanks or does really, really well. If it tanks, maybe it's a break even, or they just make a little bit of money. And then if it's a breakthrough show like Davis Garcia was, they're making out, they're making bank, right? That is why you saw an increasing amount of, first it was Fox. And remember, Fox gets ad revenue, okay? Fox was more willing to go on pay-per-view where seemingly you get less ad revenue because it's a private broadcast. They were more willing to do that than pay to put PBC programming on air for, for the amount of money that PBC wanted. I'm sure they were willing to pay something, but not the amount required to cover the guaranteed purses that PBC was guaranteeing their overpaid fighters. So think about that. Fox would rather go pay-per-view because of the financials involved, they weren't willing to pay the amount of money PBC wanted for the product. They had to go pay-per-view. Same thing over on Showtime. Why do I bring all this up? Because when you look at the PBC experiment, the last, again, we're talking, I think, eight years now. It was 2015. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. I think 2015 launch. Uh, might have been 2014. Anyway, I'm looking at the amount of networks that were willing to pay for the product. I'm looking at the total amount of fights that we've seen and how many of those the networks actually paid for versus how many went pay-per-view where there's very low liability for them, or it was the, the original time buy where they didn't pay a dime. PBC paid them for their time, for their slot. I don't have the math on that. I, I mean, to sit down and do that would take forever, but um, I, I would... I would bet high dollar that it's less than half of their content networks actually were willing to pay for to broadcast. That doesn't look good. That's not good. Say what you will about top rank, golden boy, matchroom, etc. They have found platforms willing to pay for their product. Now, are there cards that top rank and matchroom and the like have done that went pay-per-view that I didn't feel and you didn't feel were pay-per-view worthy fights because of the same financial situation I just brought up with PBC? Yes. It was substantially less though, substantially less. And also, and this is something Julius over at ring IQ brought up um, on his show. Shout out to him. He's done excellent work on this topic. You guys should go check out his channel if you're interested in this subject matter because he's done several videos on it and has some really interesting insights. Um, but <clears throat> what was I about to say? Let me get some water. <clears throat> ah. 
PBC, this, uh, Julius brought this point up. PBC has been on multiple networks in recent years, right? Top Rank's been on two of them. Top Rank was on HBO, then HBO Boxing went away. So they had to find a new home and they went to ESPN. Golden Boy was on HBO. They went away. So they went over to the zone. Matchroom was on, I think, Sky in the UK. And then they went, it kind of became exclusive with the zone globally. And they're trying to like build something globally there. So there's been a certain level of consistency in the programming over on those platforms. Uh, if HBO boxing was still around, perhaps top rank in golden boys would still be over there on HBO. I know that I think there's two years left on top ranks deal with ESPN. And it remains to be seen what will happen after that. Um, but as of now, ESPN slash Disney is paying top rank for their product, either to air it on the network or on the app. We, we had one pay-per-view this year, right? And that was Lomachenko Haney. And they had to go that route to pay the, the, the guaranteed purses to make the fight happen. Um, and then with Matchroom, it's the same thing. Golden Boy, it's the same thing. Where DAZN, at least so far, is willing to pay them for their content. So um, when you see that, and then you compare it to what PBC has. And guys, I want to ask you this. Has there ever been a coherent cohesive, clear business plan with PBC? Has there been a build? Has there been a story arc to what they've done? Or has it simply been get the bag over at this platform, bleed it dry, go to the next one, get the next bag. That seems to be where it's at. And look, I again, I, I believe that PBC will land on its feet somewhere. In fact, it'll probably be broken up into a couple different platforms, maybe, uh, which I don't think is a good thing for boxing. But um, I, I, I do wonder if they're going to be able to land a deal where a platform is willing to pay them guaranteed money, like the deal they had with Showtime and originally with Fox, where they're willing to pay out the absorbent fees to put on these mid-level shows and give uh, these fighters these guaranteed contracts. I mean, there's a rumored pay-per-view that they're going to be doing at Showtime in uh, December. Now, it's not official, so I won't give details, but the names, you feel like you're reading a press release from 2016, 2017, the names that they're going to have fighting on this card. Um, so so it, it's just, it, and that has to go pay-per-view if they do it because of the guarantees that they have. I, I just don't know if there's going to be a platform out there that's willing to sign this big exorbitant deal to pay for these shows without going to pay-per-view. That I don't know. I really, really don't know. So um, it, it's going to be interesting to see where this goes from here. Um, one last point I wanted to make, um, and then I'll jump to some phone calls. I always felt that HBO, HBO, of course, was the top of the line in boxing, right? HBO boxing was the best production. They had the best fighters, the biggest names. But although they were the biggest show in town, 
in comparison to Showtime, Showtime was always like a poor man's HBO, right? It was cheaper than HBO. The production was like 90% as good, but not quite there at that level. Their shows were never in the same stratosphere. They had a couple of hit shows, a couple of shows I enjoyed. I'm sure you guys too, but nowhere on the level of HBO. HBO's shows were always racking up all the awards and stuff at the end of the year, right? They had iconic shows. And people subscribe to HBO, I'd say, more for their shows than for boxing. Did boxing fans subscribe to HBO? Of course. But you guys got to remember something. We live in a bubble. The majority of the population doesn't give a shit about sports. They just don't. So maybe 20% of the population cares about sports in general. And maybe I'm being generous with that figure. Of that, it's a fraction that gives a shit about boxing. Right. So, so we live in a bubble within a bubble. And I've, I've always felt that fight sports, not just boxing, but fight sports in general were more important to Showtime's programming than to HBO's because HBO always had hit shows. They, they had, of course, the Sopranos, which that's what men subscribe to HBO for. Then they had sex in the city. That's what women subscribe to HBO for. Back before those shows, you had like old school, like Tales from the Crypt and all this kind of stuff, right? They always had these fun shows. And um, even uh, Inside the NFL started on HBO. And that originally went over, the, or then uh, uh, eventually went over to Showtime, where I think it still might be on Showtime, but it's been unwatchable for years, so I couldn't tell you. Anyway, although HBO boxing was the top of the line, didn't count as much toward the bottom line as boxing on Showtime did. I always felt that way. So if you would have asked me 10 years ago, who's going to leave boxing first, HBO or Showtime? I would have said HBO. Further, Showtime didn't just do boxing. They did UFC. They did women's UFC. Or not UFC, I'm sorry, MMA. I think it was what, Strike Force. I think it wasn't UFC, but it was MMA. And they had like Gina Carano and I think they had cyborg fight. So they did like women's MMA and were really the first, I would say mainstream network to build up women's MMA in a big way. And then they had like Uriah Faber and guys like that, you know, MMA fighters on there that kind of made a name for themselves and had a good run. So they would do multiple fight sports. Now HBO wouldn't touch MMA refused would not touch it. And there were actually certain divisions in boxing that HBO wouldn't go near, right? They never had cruiserweight fights. They stayed away from the super middleweight division and others. Meanwhile, Showtime had a cruiserweight. I want to say they had a cruiserweight tournament, but I know they had a lot of great cruiserweight fights. They had the super middleweight tournament. You could see Joe Calzaghe and guys like that fight over there. They were willing to show like um, Euro European fights and stuff like that, fights from Germany, the UK, that HBO didn't want to touch. So Showtime was always willing to experiment and do a little more, not just in boxing, but all fight sports. And that's why I say boxing was more important to them than it was over at HBO. I hope that makes sense. I hope I'm relaying my, my, my thoughts on this uh, well enough to where it makes sense, because I think that is relevant to this discussion, because when HBO boxing went away in 2018, Game of Thrones was, I think, in its prime, right? And 
that's where all their money was going at that network. They're like, Game of Thrones. We're the Game of Thrones network. That's why everyone was getting HBO. HBO boxing, yes, it was still a big thing. But like, if a million people were watching Andre Ward fight on HBO or whatever, okay, cool. That that's that's a, that's a good number. And then later on, it was like Golovkin was doing numbers like that. I know, okay, it's a good number. But there's like over 10 million people watching Game of Thrones. That is where their focus went. Over on Showtime, they didn't have any shows like that. They didn't have the movies HBO brought in and stuff like that. HBO would get the top movies, right? They had the top shows. So to see Showtime leaving boxing. And then also I'll, I'll say this. The, the people running Showtime boxing, I think, cared more about it than the people running HBO boxing at the end. Peter Nelson. Was he a boxing guy? No, he didn't give a shit. But Steven Espinosa, and I got plenty of gripes with him, okay? I'm not saying he did his job well. I, I, there's plenty. I could rant for hours on this guy. But he cared about boxing, and he fought to keep it on Showtime. And he was a pretty much the biggest reason why Showtime re-upped their deal a couple years back when they were ready to bounce out then. Okay, it was Steven kind of keeping it there. And I think part of the negotiation, I, I can't you know, say I was in the room, but my assumption is that part of the conversation is, hey, we're going to do a lot more pay-per-views. You guys don't have to spend all that money. We're going to go pay-per-view. The liability is going to be on Al's end. We're going to, because you saw over the last few years when they did that re-up, everything went to pay-per-view. So that's why I say that. Um, yeah. So, so to see Showtime go, again, they were the last man standing. So there's that. But then I, I do think that they were always the runner up to HBO and they were always trying to catch up to them, right? HBO was like the big brother. Showtime was like the little brother. I want to say fight sports were just more important and sports programming in general was more important to Showtime. So to see that ending, um, I think it's more dramatic. And um, again, this is something we're going to be talking about for a while. Okay, let's jump to a couple phone calls real quick, guys. Let's uh, let's talk to Nacho real quick. Nacho, what's up, brother? How you doing? Hey, Mike, what's going on? Um, just real quick to touch on the the little rant you went on right now about the whole uh, PBC Showtime dynamic. Um, in my opinion. You're right. I think Showtime was around as far as on the boxing spectrum because of the fact that, like you said, they showed fights in d certain divisions and even from foreign countries yep. that HBO never did. Like they went to Germany, they went to uh, England, they went to France. They they followed guys that were names in other countries and showed them on their network, whereas HBO almost never touched guys from overseas. Um, it was mostly American or Latino fighters that they showed on HBO. Um, and that's kind of what made um, Showtime different, and that's why they had their own niche. But it was like I, I wrote on your um, on your last video that you, you uh, posted, Mike, I think the demise of uh, Showtime is squarely on PBC's shoulders. And a lot of it has to do with the oversaturation of pay-per-view, a lot of mismatches on those pay-per-views and also on the regular Showtime cards, 
they were not necessarily 50-50 or even 60-40 fights. It was a lot of tune-ups and stay-busy fights for most of the guys that were on their roster. And also, too, over-marinating fights that they should have made years ago. So the fact of the matter is, Espinosa can say whatever he wants about, um, you know, the, the, the ratings and, and, and fans. But yeah, in I need reality, to talk about a lot that. of the blame falls on, uh, a lot of the blame falls on him, Heyman, and other people associated with PBC. Because if your product is garbage, you're not going to get people to watch. I'm sorry. Like, uh, outside of, uh, you know, diehards or, or hardcores, as, as they label people like us that watch the sport, um, you're not going to draw in casual fans when you're making mismatches and, and over-marinating fights. And the idea that one good year of fights this past year, which led to the demise anyway, is going to make up for nine years of horrible fights, I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. No business can sustain their product if that's the case. And so at the end of the day, they they should blame themselves and themselves only because they refuse to work with other promoters for the most part. They um, overpaid a lot of these guys for tune-ups and stay-busy fights, and that's the biggest reason why they're going out of business because you can't pay a guy 2 or $3 million to fight you know, a, a top 40 or a top 50 contender, and then when he actually has to fight somebody in the top 10, he's going to ask you for probably double that just to fight a guy like that. And so their their overpayment of these guys fighting these no-hopers and these stay-busy fights is a big reason why they are where they are at this point. Um, I agree, Mike. I, I just don't see any legitimate network just willingly open, giving them a, a, a blank check, per se, and telling them, yeah, go ahead. Like, I don't see Amazon doing that. I don't see, you know, Hulu or any of these other streaming platforms just giving uh, Al a, a blank check to do whatever he wants. They've seen the results of him having that. So, you know, at the end of the day, um, they're in the position they're in, and they can't blame anybody but themselves. And um, just real quick about the fights that happened this weekend, Mike. Uh, Rocha Santian, I honestly thought that was going to be a 50-50 fight going in because I thought Rocha... Um, had been on a nice little winning streak and he had been kind of developed pretty well as a fighter. And Santiana, I had seen him fight as well. And I thought he was a decent fighter, but I didn't expect him to be a world beater. But man, talk about a complete 180 um, that yeah. Santiana performed this past weekend. He took it to Rocha. He basically outboxed him and he outslugged him. And he took him apart um, gradually as the fight went on and just you know, took him apart, and and now he beat, um, you know, a guy who's considered a, a contender in the division. Um, I honestly hope that top rank doesn't just sit him on the shelf. I would like to see them keep this kid busy and just keep him active. Don't get a win and then all of a sudden say, oh, okay, well, we'll see you in six months. Like, let's just keep this kid busy and keep him out there, and hopefully they can get some you know, bigger names to face this kid um, as well. And then with the um, Catterall Linares, um, I, it wasn't as expected. I figured Catterall was going to win. 
And Linares, you could just see, Mike, like as the fight went on, his reflexes and um, his skills had just dulled. You could just see there were openings there against Catterall that he couldn't take advantage of anymore. And that's what happens to a guy who's been in as many wars and is 38 years old. He's just not going to be able to pull the trigger like he once did. I'm just glad he decided to call it a day finally. I think he could have called it a day a couple of years ago and saved a few of those losses off his record. But at the end of the day, you know, he walks away for the most part healthy. And I hope he ends up finding, you know, uh, the next phase of his uh, journey um, goes well for him. It doesn't sound like he's. we're going to see this guy coming back in a few years. I think he was smart enough to be financially set and, and he, he won't be stepping back in the ring anytime soon. Um, just a quick question for you, Mike. Do you think he did enough to be a, a, uh, in Canastota in a few years? Whew, that's a good question. Yeah, my original or my initial thought is no, but I want to pull up his resume because I want to see what his best wins were. Let's pull this up. Because, man, I remember when you fought DeMarco, like, back in L.A. Like, that feels like it was a decade ago. I was at that fight. Actually, yeah, it was a I decade ago. I was there ago. at that fight, Mike. It was oh, you were there, man? I was there, ago. too. Yeah. yeah, that was. Yeah, I was there. Dude, yeah, that was, was a there. great fight. That was a great fight. Yeah, that fight. I mean, and I like DeMarco, and me and my friends were just like, my God, he, he sliced him apart for those first eight rounds, and we thought, oh, they're going to stop this fight. And then all of a sudden, the fight just turned on a dime. Yeah. And then DeMarco just chopped him up and, and got the upset. It was unbelievable. That was a crazy fight. That was such a good one, man. I still remember that. That was 2011. Yeah. So, yeah. so at, bat, yeah. Or at um, Featherweight, he beats Oscar Larios. That's a pretty good win. Rocky Juarez at one at lightweight. Jesus Chavez. These are decent wins. But the loss to DeMarco. Then he goes on, beats Kevin Mitchell for a belt, Anthony Crawler, Luke Campbell. I was at that fight, too. Um, barely gets by Luke Campbell. I don't know, dude. I, I don't think so. I, I just don't. I don't think there's enough there when I look. He fought everybody. He had a, a good – well, not everybody, but he fought a lot of good opposition. But he came up short against the top guys. And, I, I yeah, for me, he'd fall yeah. short of that. Ah, okay. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. I think he just falls short of yeah. of being inducted. But nowadays, you never know. Sometimes guys get in that you don't expect. So, you know, who knows? Maybe five, ten years from now, they end up inducting him anyway. So, yeah, that's I a just, good point. I man. feel like his on a weak year. Yeah, I feel like he had a good career. I'm sorry. No, no, I'm sorry. Not. I was just gonna say. Um, to your point, you know, um, he did have a good career and he, he was an interesting guy, man. He, a Venezuelan who goes over to Japan, learns Japanese, can speak English. So he's trilingual, this guy. He's very smart and articulate. He's just an interesting dude. Um, beautiful wife. Yeah. So, so like there's, you know, it's, and as watered down as the Hall of Fame is getting and the people that they're voting in every year, maybe he sneaks in at some point. You're right. Yeah. I think at some point he might get in, but it'll probably be a while yeah. before he gets in for sure. But I agree, Mike. I think his, he had a very good career. I just don't think he had a great career. 
I'm on the same boat as well. I hear you, man. I hear you. And then uh, last thing, Mike, I am not watching that shit show of Fury uh, and Ganu. So that will be my final uh, point of my call. That's your um, final comment. I'll, I'll talk to you later, Mike. I think yeah, so, no sure. comment. Have a good one, brother. All right. All right, there you he goes, do. guys. Um, some interesting points. That I'll get to it in just a second. I want to get to Trent's uh, super chat. Thank you so much, Trent. He says, Matthias Ergashev at the Cosmo next weekend. I'm going. Uh, Trent, I thought that Subriel Matthias versus Ergashev, wasn't that going to be on the, um, what is it, the Benavides Andre undercard next month? Did they move that? I thought that was going to be, maybe you meant next month. Because you said next weekend, on your thing. Anyway, um, that that's an interesting fight, dude. That's an look. There's there's a couple sneaky interesting fights. Um, I, I misspoke last last uh, week, um, or my, was that last week? It's all blending together on my show, where I said that there's just not a lot in the schedule. There's not a lot that I'm super excited about, but there are some low key interesting matchups, and that's definitely one of them, bro. So if you're going to that, have a great great time. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy yourself. There's nothing like being at the fights. Um, I'm going to take Thad's on the line. I'm going to get Thad here in just a second because I know he's going to have comments about this PBC stuff. But I want to hit on a couple things that Nacho said that I forgot to bring up. Um, you know, Nacho hinted at apparently Steven Espinoza has done some interviews. And there is one guy I had a back and forth with on Twitter this week. And I'm not going to name his name because I don't want to put the guy in blast. He seems like a good dude. He, I think he's just kind of misinformed a little bit and misguided. But he was basically saying that Steven Espinoza told him that the reason why Showtime Boxing ultimately failed is because um, the regular uh, shows, not the pay-per-view, but the regular shows, there were not enough diehard fans watching. And the diehard fans were, not, were, were, were pirating the pay-per-view cards. So essentially what they were doing was blaming diehard fans for Showtime boxing crumbling. I find that to be hilarious. Now this, I'm just telling you guys based off of what this person was saying on their Twitter account. I don't know if that interview ever even took place. I haven't heard the interview. So I don't want to quote Steven Espinoza here, but he has said stuff kind of like that in the past. Okay. Blaming diehard boxing fans for Showtime Boxing's collapse would be like an abusive husband blaming his wife for making him hit her instead of him acknowledging he's a piece of shit. Um, it'd be like, and that's what's crazy to me about members of the cult because they're fans who are being abused and manipulated and they're defending the abuser. It's like the battered woman who defends her piece of shit, abusive husband. That's essentially the same dynamic we have here. Okay. So I find that to be fascinating that there are people out there to actually accept this explanation and, and, and run with that. Let me just say this real quick. If, if Showtime boxing was putting on the kind of programming that they had, let's say, in the early 2000s. I'm thinking back to like the Vasquez Marquez fights and things like that. 
Um, they had a bunch of great fights back in the day. If you looked at like fight of the year contenders, Showtime always had like either the top one or there was, again, there was a run there where they were whooping HBO's ass, in my opinion, for diehard fight fan type of fights. They were really, really kicking HBO's ass for a while. Nothing like that in recent years, however. But if they were providing the kind of content diehard boxing fans wanted, boxing fans would tune in. They'd subscribe. As far as the pay-per-views go, diehard boxing fans are educated and they know what is worth their money and what is not. And sometimes you buy something just for the spectacle, the freak show. I, there's something like that going on this weekend. I get it. But week to week, month to month, diehard fans are, are being gouged. They're being gouged. And a lot of you guys have started to like just prioritize and look at the, the different platforms and say, yeah, I'll, I'll get this platform and the others can go to hell. Or some of you have just checked out completely and said, I'm getting the fire stick. I'm just going to stream this shit, right? For anybody at the top, for the brass to blame you for doing that or for Espinosa to cite that as the main issue why Showtime Boxing is not around, that is incredible incredibly disingenuous and quite frankly unethical there let me just make something clear there are pirating issues in every segment of the entertainment industry okay everyone's dealing with this the movie theater business is dealing with this at an unprecedented rate how many movie theaters went out of business now they were saying oh it's because of covid maybe that's some of it but it's also because more and more people are saying, I don't want to go spend $20 on the ticket and another $20 on stale-ass popcorn and some just-add-water nacho cheese shit and some fucking idiot sitting in front of me smoking a joint and the guy behind me is getting his dick sucked. Yeah, I don't need to deal with this with my kids. I'm going to stay at home and watch the movie for free on the fire stick. I might have to wait a week or two. Okay. More and more people are saying that. And that's why the movie theater business is failing. And that's why now... They're having to like, well, now you can come and have a waiter bring you food at the movies and we have reclining chairs. Yeah, because I don't have that shit at home. huh? So <laughs> good luck with that. So like pirating is in everything. The NFL gets pirated. There are people out there that are pirating NFL games, but there is still such a demand that networks like Fox, um, ESPN, even Amazon, that platform, they have Thursday night football. They're willing to pay the NFL for the games. And there are still enough fans out there willing to buy the NFL Sunday ticket to see all the games that that is that brand is thriving in this market of piracy and cord cutting. It's thriving. Okay. So it's possible. Look at the numbers college football does in this country. And for you guys outside the USA, I'm talking about American gridiron football, not soccer. Okay. Th that's the sport that runs this country. So th the numbers are there, um, even with streaming and pirating. So, so like every segment of the entertainment industry is dealing with that. You can adapt or die, or you could like listen to the consumer and provide something to them that they're willing to pay money for. I Diehard boxing fans have carried this sport the last, especially the last 10 or so years. I I'd like to say the last 20 or so, but increasingly during the age of cord cutting and things like that, it is the diehard fans that are subscribing to these platforms and have been propping up this sport and quite frankly, propping up the overpaid 
pampered elitist fighters, or I'm sorry, not elitist, entitled fighters here in the United States for years now. And there are just, people have just had it. They're at a point where they've had it. And it's up to the people providing the content to make adjustments. It's not up to the diehard fan. The technology is such now where you can watch it for free if you want to. Okay, let's take Thad's call. <clears throat> let's get to Thad, see what he's got to say. Mr. Thad, how you doing, brother? Hey, Mike. Yeah, Thursday, man. This is great. Great way to end the week. So, uh, you know, all salient points. I, I caught, you know, the last, like, three quarters of your show. So if, if I'm redundant, just let me know here. And okay. all this is, is a market correction, you know, in a uh, capitalistic environment, eventually the consumer is going to put their foot down and they're going to, they're going to dictate the market. And, and uh, Al Heyman, uh, even when he was on HBO, and I think you alluded to this on your last show. And I, I remember uh, a bunch of my casual buddies, they were big, you know, you know, they're big casual boxing fans. And we talk and they would, they would say, boy, this HBO nowadays, this guy's fighting. Who's this guy? And it was like Broner. It was, um, Berto, Paul Williams. And they were, they're matched against tomato cans and they, and the casual, they knew that it was a bad product then. And I said, yeah, I don't know what happened to HBO. And this was before I even knew who Al Heyman was. Mm-hmm. I said, it's a bad product. Now Showtime has a better product. Line. In those years, they sure and did. Showtime, I'll tell you, uh, when Don King went over there, you know, after the Tyson debacle, when they when they brought Tyson to Showtime, that really took off. And you had all those marquee fights with, with Tyson, Chavez. There were some great, great cards. Revenge of rematches on my prom night. I mean, I, I, you know, I had my father VCR it for me, you know, like that was a priority. It was my yeah, prom. Yeah. And like, just make sure you tape that. Right. You know, so, uh, those those were amazing years, and the McClellan versus Ben in in, in Europe. You had a lot of those um, uh, European fighters, uh, those fight cards in in Britain. It, it was a great product, and I, I loved Showtime then. Me too. But just like with HBO with Heyman, it was just a bad product. It, it started off with Roy Jones, you know, fighting these tomato cans. He didn't want to fight McCheskey. And they didn't want to hear anything about it. You know, that fight would have been huge over in Germany. Didn't want it. And that's when it all started crumbling. And and then with Heyman and Berto, like, who the hell is Andre Berto? Why do I want to watch this guy? Berto it would show, like, the fights. Um, horrible. In Atlantic yeah. City, I remember they used to have the fights on and HBO and the bar and everything. And it's like, man, this is horrible. This is a bad product. People were complaining. And, like, this isn't boxing like I remember. The market corrected itself, and this is the result. But the bad thing is, you know, you're going to have a bad product removed. But then again, that that takes away the play for other promoters. You don't have Showtime anymore. You don't have these other networks involved. They learned their lesson, and it was because Al Heyman wanted to dictate terms. He wanted to make he wanted to put his stamp of approval and have quality control over everything. That was the mistake from the get go. Okay, a guy like Espinosa should have been like, nah. No, we're not putting this garbage on. There's no way we're showing this. You better, you know, give me a better slate, you know, to to televise. That didn't happen. And everyone got hurt in the, in the, uh, the process. So the problem was Al Heyman wanting to control everything. He's a control freak. He's not for the betterment of boxing. I said it for many years. 
Dude, you bring up a great cancer. point, Fed. I'm sorry, I have to interrupt because you, that, that that brings me to a great point. Sure. I don't know if you remember when Plant and Canelo were negotiating their fight. Uh, DeZone offered Plant right. a record payday if he would come over to DeZone and right. fight Canelo there. And it would have been more money than Plant had ever made. And Al Heyman refused to let him go over there and do that fight because of some petty beef he has with people over there. And he... Ended yeah. up paying, I think, $8 million to plant to, to do the fight on Showtime, which wasn't quite what DeZone was willing to pay him. So were you really looking out for your fighter's best interest? And, and there's a million examples we no. could bring up of this. There are so many examples where there are these just petty beefs and, and grudges that and just general sensitivity yeah. that seems to exist over on that platform. And they hold on to this stuff. And it, 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 it it's to the detriment of their fighters oftentimes and also to the detriment of the sport. Look where we're, we are at right now. It's not right. only their fault, but I dare I say they are the, the biggest contributor to why we are here right now. Uh, there's a saying, uh, many nickels make a muckle, uh, meaning that the little things they add up. And Al Heyman, all of his personal beats and all his quality control issues where he wants to be in charge, it adds up. And it, and he ripped off a lot of his fighters with that ability to, to to nick certain fights on certain networks. When Remember when Luis Ortiz was going to replace Andy Ruiz yeah. for uh, AJ? Yeah. All of a sudden, they lost the contract or something. The guy, this, now listen, this guy's a, a Cuban. He doesn't have a lot of, how could I say... He doesn't have a lineage of a family that made a lot of money. So he's he's the breadwinner. That's a legacy earning potential right there. And they said, no, you know, you're not going to fight this guy for $10 million. You're going to fight Wilder for like four. Okay. This guy could have retired from boxing, had a, had a, you know, a great nest egg. But no, they've done that before, just like you alluded to with Plant. With other fighters at uh, Kanatsky, he could have fought a, uh, AJ. You know, they mix that as well. Remember this guy could have made a career Quillen? payday. Going all the way back to the Peter oh, Quillen situation. Yeah. And that's with the that Korobov. destroyed Peter Quillen's career. It destroyed his career. Yeah. He would have been better At off that losing point, to Korobov. Like, you know yeah. I mean, he would have, yeah, it was a title fight. And, you know, his career was over at that point. He, he even lost faith in himself, I believe. I think these fighters have a psyche where like, all right, well, if they don't have confidence in me, then why should I, yeah. you know, that's, and, and he's like, you know, maybe I'm just going to show up for a paycheck. This is the reality. Okay. This is what Al Heyman brought to the table. And, and like you said, a lot of it's personal. It's not business. It's like uh, the Godfather. It's business, not personal. Okay. You got to put your, you know, when, when Sonny told Michael, you know, he slapped you around a little bit, you know, on, on the little, on the kisser. And what are you going to do? You're going to go and kill him. You know? No, it's not about that. It's about business. But Al Heyman, he doesn't think in those terms. His, his brother was a fighter. Bobby Heyman, I think his name was. And I think that festers from the time where he believes his brother got, you know, jobbed, you know, yeah. came away with the, from the sport with nothing. And you know what? That, that lies on both the fighter and the management. All right, there's ways to, you know, mitigate that. You, you see guys like Foreman, and there's a lot of fighters that made out well. I mean, Joe Calzaghe, guy. Uh, look at look at Joe Macy. Joe Macy, uh, he works in my line of work. <laughs> okay, yeah, he's, Macy he's uh, one of the head honchos. 
Yeah, Joe Macy. You know, uh, well, a lot of people don't Buffalo. know. Yeah, Fad, he, you know who really who did great with their fighters was Emmanuel Stewart. All of the crunk guys, even the right. guys that were just amateur boxers, have done extremely well. A lot of them own real estate all around Detroit. Uh, they in, they worked in businesses and owned businesses around Detroit. So so like you don't hear about those stories, but there have been a, a lot of guys that have been taken care of and done very well from this sport. Right, and and that's that's a testament to. You know, you, you teach your fighters not only in the ring, but how to handle them, themselves outside the ring. I think right. there's even a quote in Rocky Five with Mick saying that about Rocky. You know, there's a lot. That's probably where it stemmed from. But the bottom line is, you know, if you have to, have to look for someone to blame, it's, it's straight at the feet of Al Heyman. This guy wanted to circumvent the Ali Act. He was was basically a manager and a promoter, but he was able to circumvent the system. Okay, and got away with it. And guess who got hurt? His fighters and the sport. That's why the Ali Act was was put in, in place. That's Bernard Hopkins. Bernard Hopkins it was all about that. And and he, you know, he excoriated Al Heyman about yeah. circumventing that. It's bad. It's just bad for everyone involved, and the fan included. And this is where we are. So with that being said, this is a good thing. Maybe boxing can, you know, skip ahead. And, and rebuild itself, rebrand itself. I think you look at other sports like NFL. What makes the NFL so great? It's not the product. It's the fact that everybody's involved with it. You have fantasy football. You have gambling. It's the, it's the number one sport for gambling. Yeah. That's what people are interested. It's, it's not because, oh, you know what? I, I like, uh, I like you, know, you know, how they hit. No, they don't hit anymore. The product is a shell of its former self. This NFL is dog shit it compared is. to what we had in the nineties. Dog shit, and it's, it's all a, it's woke and political. And look at the on Sunday night, but you, you're right, Thad. Correct. You hit on and something you, with the, uh, the the fantasy football element. The NFL was smart yeah. enough to tap into that. The majority of NFL fans, the people watching the games now, aren't even football fans. They couldn't name half the damn teams in the league ten years ago. They are watching because they're in three different fantasy leagues with guys at work. That's who's watching yeah. the NFL right now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I sat next to a guy with Coke bottle glasses on. He knew more about the players than I did because he's <laughs> in a fantasy league. He yep. never played. I played in high school. You know, this guy, this guy knows more than me, you know, about yeah. statistics and all this stuff, you know, analytics. So that's where you get involved. And boxing could take a page from there. But, you know, maybe they can grow now, you know, that, that this, this cancer is removed maybe. Uh, hopefully, yeah, I, I can't say for sure. It's not. But maybe you're going to start seeing growth. But, but Mike, this weekend, okay, we have a few fights. I, can I ask your opinion now? Uh, Shockey Foster, this guy has a very boring style. He's a jabber. He's a, he's a runner. He's not a power puncher. He's fighting a Mexican Hernandez in Mexico. I'm wondering if he can get away with trying that stuff and getting a decision because he's not going to knock this guy out. But the guy he's fighting has power. He's like a front foot guy for six rounds. He could knock your block off. But after that, all bets are off. I could see a controversial decision going either way, but I, I favor the Mexican fighter, and he's a slight underdog. Uh, I want to get your opinion on that. Plus, uh, this Fabio Wardley versus Joseph Adele. Adele is like a poor man's Frank Bruno to me. He's, he's all muscle which works against you in boxing. So, mm -hmm. But he's a power puncher for the first half of the fight against Fabio Wardley. He's like a 
uh, a white collar boxing guy, you know, came from a good neighborhood. You know, he basically got jumped in the interview leading up to this fight. So um, I don't know how that's going to play into it, but he's the more athletic, more fluid fighter. So I think that's going to be an entertaining scrap for as long as it lasts. If it goes a distance, I like Wardley by decision, but Adelaide could catch him because uh, Wardley might not have the, the best the best beard. Hmm. And uh, and then in the, the woman's fight, it's the first 12-round Three minute fight. I, I like. Uh, oh yeah. I like the girl Serrano to take her out in the mid rounds. I think it's going to be a stoppage. I don't like it, Mike. I really don't. I think they're asking for trouble with women fighting three minute rounds. And I, you know, I'm all for it. I think they can do it. But when you have a fighter like Serrano, who's in my opinion probably the best woman's fighter of our generation. I know Katie Taylor beat her, but Katie Taylor beat her at a division where yeah. Serrano don't, normally doesn't fight. So. That fight could have gone either way. I thought Taylor won, but Serrano with three minute rounds, I think would have stopped her. But this could be a dangerous thing when you got a girl like her, you know, who can absolutely, you know, pummel a woman, you know, who, uh, who might not be, you know, able to handle that type of pressure. So here we are. I like her by stoppage, but I'd like to get your opinion on those. I'm going to hang up and, uh, and I'll hear you out. Okay, Mike. All right. Thanks a lot, Dad. I appreciate it, man. Thank you now. Thanks for the show. Bye. Uh, as far as Osheki Foster versus Eduardo Hernandez, um, I understand it's in Mexico, but it, this is a, it's a matchroom show. And Foster is from Texas. He's from like right there. He's from Houston, right? So, um, and he, look, he got a decision against Ray Vargas in San Antonio. Uh, he got a decision on the road in Dubai. I, I think I, I, I'm going to favor Foster in that. As far as the heavyweight fight, I, I'm going to favor uh, Wardley. I don't know not enough about the other guy. I just don't know enough about him, Fabio Wardley. So I'm going to favor him too. Um, but if there is a chin issue, maybe that fight could get real interesting. But I just I think Foster's going to win enough rounds where I would expect him to beat Hernandez. That being said, I don't know much about Hernandez. I, I really, really don't. Um, I know I, he's actually, I think every one of us, I'm just looking here real quick. Every one of his fights has been in Mexico, but I just don't think he's had the opposition to prepare him for that fight. I like Foster. Okay. Um, you guys have had some great comments, by the way, that I want to get to, and then I'm going to uh, drop off here in a few minutes. But uh, Nacho brings uh, a great point here. He said, Mike, guys like Jan Mark, Mormack, O'Neill Bell, David Hay, Enzo Macarinelli were all on Showtime. Absolutely, freaking lutely Nacho. And I remember all those fights, and they were great, dude. Uh, Hay had some big events over in the UK that and, and I think he fought Enzo Macarinelli actually over there, uh, because they're both from that part of the world. And Showtime had that, and that that might have been Hay's last cruiserweight fight where he announced that he was gonna go up to heavyweight. Correct me if I'm wrong there. But Mar Mormack and Bell fought each other. And you, I remember that they created a new lineage at Cruiserweight, a legitimate, like, undisputed champion, a lineal champion. And then Hay ended up taking that eventually. But there was consolidation in that division. And I, I always thought, at, especially at that time, um, and even now, that it was an underappreciated division with some fun fighters, man. I, I liked watching Mormack and Bell. Hey, at Cruiserweight was fun. Even Macarinelli was fun. Dude, Showtime for a while picked up that kind of stuff. And, and the difference in that era 
between what HBO did and what Showtime did is Showtime really, really gave the diehard boxing fan the best bang for their buck. If you were a diehard, you knew you'd get stuff like that. The cruiserweight stuff, the, the super middleweights, you get that over at Showtime. You get fighters from Mexico, from Europe, from Asia, uh, different parts of the world, and you'd see those fights. And, and HBO didn't want to touch a lot of that stuff. And it was in that same era that Showtime was um, bringing on, again, as I mentioned before, they, they brought on MMA fights. And, and particularly they showcased female MMA fighters. Gina Carano became a big star over there on that platform. I remember, I didn't watch MMA, but I knew who Gina Carano was way back then. And uh, Uriah Faber was, was a, a male uh, MMA fighter. I still remember his name just because those guys were on the air so much. So like they were showing that stuff like back, back in the day. And, and it just always seemed to be more um, it, fight sports, especially boxing seemed to be more important to Showtime um, than HBO. Uh, that's just the way it, it, it felt. Uh, Michael Mendiola in the chat says, uh, Thad cracks me up. Only thing Heyman did was this. He put more money in the pockets of his fighters than any other promoter in the last decade. I've seen the checks. Mike, I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. If you are a fan of fighters getting paid the most amount of money, particularly like the B-level guys, the old pastor prime guys, because that doesn't always happen in this sport. In fact, it rarely happens. Um, I hear you. Heyman's the guy. If you're a fighter that isn't necessarily interested in fighting the best out there and carving out an all-time great lasting legacy or whatever, and you're just trying to get the most money you can for the lowest possible risk, Heyman is your guy. But, but there's a flip side to that coin. And it's how it affects the sport, how it affects the fan. We we have decades now of track record here, dude. I'm not saying all this stuff to beat up on Heyman, okay? There is literally, there are literally decades of, of track record. We could go back to when he was at HBO, and then we can look at this PBC launch and just look at everything. He's made money. His constituents have made money. His fighters have made money. But the sport of boxing, the state that it's in in America right now, is not nearly as good as it was before he got involved. That is just an undeniable fact. And there's always some spin, right? And the people tied to that platform will talk about the revenue. Look at the money we made on this fight. Look at the money. Look, at, it's always the money, right? Well, if you gouge 20,000 people, at T-Mobile Arena, you can make a lot of money. But what's more important long-term? Gouging 20,000 people at T-Mobile for $10 million of gate revenue or having a show at AT&T Stadium in Texas where 80,000 fans do a $5 million gate revenue? I know as a fan of the sport and as somebody that wants to see the sport thrive long-term, I know which one's going to build more fight fans. It's pretty obvious what the right, right answer is. And it's pretty obvious which answer would be more important to Heyman. So it's just a difference in philosophy. But the track record in the result is what I'm focusing on here. And, and to me, the results are undeniable. 
Nacho says the, the absolute greatest fight ever. Castillo Corrales was on regular showtime. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Um, and there, there was just a couple of fantastic fights in that era, bro. Just man, great, great fights. Gail says, uh, sports is the entertainment business. There must be return on investment to survive when it's not there. It closes like any business losing money. Exactly. Gail, particularly in the entertainment business where it's all about money. You've, you've talked to some of these studio executives, just like I have, um, these guys would kill their mother in the street for a nickel. They're, they're all about, they put money before their children, everything. They're all about the money. So if the product is making money, they don't give a shit about anything else. <clears throat> and uh, Gail, I saw you brought up a comment earlier that boxing is thriving globally. You're absolutely correct. In other markets of the world, it is thriving. And that is why I look at what Eddie Hearn is doing with Matchroom on the zone. And he has the infrastructure to build out of any other promoter in America or abroad. Hearn and Matchroom have the biggest opportunity to build into the current landscape of where things are going, the way media is consumed globally. They um, have a platform that is available in basically every country, not every single country, but most countries. And the only issue is they have bombed here in America because they're charging us 200 and something dollars a year for a subscription that sucks. But in every other market, the zone is doing well and globally it's thriving. So Matchroom is in a good position in that regard. The other promoters here in the United States, not necessarily so. At least top rank, you know, they do business with the WBO almost exclusively. That's the global sanctioning organization. They represent a lot of Asian fighters, European fighters, African fighters. And Top Rank has tapped into those markets and they've signed fighters from those markets. They have a lot of fighters from those parts of the world. They represent them. Um, so they've, they're kind of tied in internationally. Heyman and his guys, not so much. So wonder where all that's going to end up. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Gail says Bernard Hopkins is worth millions because he invested in rental properties all his life. He nags all the young golden boy guys to invest in property. Yes, he does. And um, it's some of the best thing, best things you can do. Um, one of the best ways in America to get from the working class to the middle class, from the middle class to the upper class is real estate. It's one of the best things you could do. <clears throat> Mindiola says, uh, great point, Mike. These nerds all watch the NFL because of their fantasy teams. Yeah, dude, you've seen these guys where you can tell they've never played a down of football in their life. They didn't play football in high school like a lot of us did. They didn't play sports like that. They didn't even know. They couldn't even tell you about they don't. They If you're like, yo, who, play, who was the quarterback of the Houston Oilers back in the day? Who was their best quarterback? They'd be like, what's that? The Houston Oilers, right? Uh, who was the best AFL player to, you know, when they came over to the NFL? What's the AFL? Like, these guys wouldn't even know. Like, so, so like, they're – I don't know what to call them casual fans or something. I don't even know. Um, but it's some dude named Poindexter, you know, watching this shit. And that's who's watching the bulk of the games. Now props to the NFL for having the insight to see that and tapping into that market because ESPN has a whole branch of their website dedicated to fantasy football. 
and, and betting and gambling and all that. So like you could have a fantasy football league on ESPN's website and that's all tied into the NFL. You look at the parent companies involved, all that shit rolls up. Very, very smart business. Very smart business. <clears throat> okay. It might be. Oh, we got another super chat. Uh, Samir in the house. Samir, what's up, man? He says, love the show, Mike. Good to see you on here, Samir. It's been a while, brother. Been a while. <clears throat> Hamed says, uh, that show you did on Showtime was good, Mike. Some very good points and some valid criticism, which was justified. Thanks, brother. I appreciate that. I'm trying to keep it fair. I know I'm harsh. I know that sometimes my delivery is abrasive. I'm trying to get better with that. You know, communication styles, I'm trying to get better. But um, I think I'm fair for the most part. I think I'm fair. At least I try to be. Trent with another super chat. Thank you so much. He says, pro gray win over Haney is all I want for Christmas. Pro gray has a very good shot. But I'll just say this, Trent. Devin Haney was somewhat molded and schooled by Floyd Mayweather. And his father does business in the similar ways. They don't sign a contract unless they are positive that they are going to win. I'll just leave that there. I'll just leave that there and we'll move on. Okay. <clears throat> oh, Israel Kano says, Warren Moon, Houston Oilers. Dude, Warren Moon was the man. Now that was fun football, man. That was fun football. <clears throat> Mindyella says, uh, you're doing a great job, Big Mike. I appreciate it, brother. I appreciate it. I'm trying, trying. Samir says, Mike, stay heated. Always, always stay in heated. Mindyella says, fun fact, I was inducted into the semi-pro Hall of Fame in 2006 after 15 years as a player coach. I refused to watch the NFL. Damn, Mike. Okay. Let's give you an applause for that. Oh, wait. <laughs> Wrong button. <laughs> There we go. There's an applause for Mindyella. I didn't know that, bro. I did not know that. That's pretty awesome. I hit like I hit like five different buttons there. Uh, that was awesome, man. Let's see. Uh, KGM, interesting point, says, fantasy football is very different in the UK. It's a hardcore endeavor. People take it far too seriously. You guys take football in general far too seriously. Um, I don't know if you're talking about like UK football or American football. I'm talking about UK football. You guys, well, the Irish might be the worst offenders. The, the soccer riots over there, glorious, better than half the boxing cards we get these these days. Um, one foot out the door says you can't turn soft on us. Hell no. Hell no. I am getting softer in my old age because of my, my daughters. They kind of force you to do that. You know, I'm being, I'm becoming more sensitive and inclusive and um, understanding and patient, but I'm still a giant asshole and I'm, I'm going to tell it the way it is, man. Hamed <clears throat> uh, says, Mike, good stuff. The other American journalists are not doing a great job. Hey, there's a lot I could say. I'll save it for the coffee table book. I'm going to write one day. Des Roots says, we love our footy over here. Yes, you guys certainly do. You certainly do. Nacho says, I bet these football nerds don't know about guys like Joe Montana, Jim Everett, Steve Young, Randall Cunningham. Hell no. Hell no. Come on, man. They, they probably know Joe Montana because they've seen some sort of, you know, documentary or something. But like Steve Young does commentary on what? Is it Monday Night Football now? 
And these nerds are watching and they don't even know that Steve Young used to play. You know what I'm saying? When they see like Fox's pregame show, Howie Long talking or guys like that, uh, they don't even know that he used to play. You know what I'm saying? Like they have no idea, dude. They have no idea. All right. <clears throat> KGM says, yeah, football, a footy football, man. None of that NFL shite. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> uh, Mindy says, Mike, what are your thoughts on NRL week in Las Vegas? March 2024, I have six tickets. Rumor is Tim Zhu will fight the same weekend. What is NRL? You got to tell me because now now, now I'm curious. What, am I missing something? NRL. Um, not really likable? <laughs> what, what is NRL? That's how out of the loop I am, bro. That's how out of the loop I am. Nacho <clears throat> uh, says, Mike. Montero, a.k.a. Red Foreman. Can't wait until you start saying dumbass. <laughs> oh, National Rugby League. See, dude, that's – I I don't know. You know what? I actually think that's going to do well. You know why? Because it's in Vegas. People are going to get drunk, and people are going to gamble on it. So, of course, it's going to do well. What else is there to do in Las Vegas? All right, guys. Uh, that's it, man. I probably won't see you for a few weeks. Don't worry. I ain't going nowhere. I'm just going to be busy changing diapers and such 24 hours a day. And then um, once things get a little more under control, we'll be back and uh, the show will be back. Okay. So uh, enjoy the next couple of weeks. Enjoy the fights. You know, I just realized we didn't even talk about Fury versus Nganu. Who gives a shit? It doesn't matter. All right, guys. Have a good one. And we'll talk soon. I love you guys. And uh, I'll see you at the fights.